Hey, welcome to Church Online. Wherever you are, if we don't know you, if we haven't met you yet, please connect, go to our website and click on the Next Steps launcher there, the yellow circle with the white feet there, and fill in the Connect card and we'll get straight back to you and hopefully book you in for a coffee. Let's have a look today at what's coming up at Kenmore Church. As many of you would know, we started Church Check-In so our pastoral care team can better meet the needs of our church. If you haven't already downloaded it, the app to use is Church Centre. And if you haven't already checked in, this is your friendly reminder. Christian communities take the time to pray for each other. We are making it even easier to do that with a powerful new addition to our online Next Steps launcher called Prayer Hub at Kenmore.Church. By following the simple links and prompts, you can request prayer or join us in praying for the needs that come in as part of your daily routine. You can keep your request private among our small team of intercessors or have it posted the prayer hub where our regular church folk can pray for you. The general public can't see our prayer hub, you apply for access. So sign on today by following the yellow Next Steps icon on the website at kenmore.church. Click is on Friday nights for kids in grades 4 to 6 and goes from 5.30 to 7 p.m. The cost is $5, which includes dinner. Head to Kenmore.Church to register or for more information. Kenmore Youth is for grades 7 to 12 and goes from 7 to 9 p.m. It's going to be a great term. No need to register. You could just turn up. Alpha is preparing to run in April of this year. If you want to see others follow Jesus, contact Lani to join the Alpha team or be thinking about who you can invite. Encounter is on tonight from 6pm. This is a time where you can come and worship God for longer than usual. There won't be a sermon, but time to praise and worship God. Prophetic stations will also be set up around the room where you can spend some time reflecting and just be in the presence of God. We are having a church after party, otherwise known as Cap Day. This will be on the 27th of March and is a great opportunity for you to invite a friend along. There will be delicious free food after church. Come and celebrate with your community. We get it. Technology can be tricky. If you're having trouble with signing up for church events or checking in each week, stop by the Connections desk out the front where there will be a friendly face to help you. For more information about anything that's happening at Kenmore Church, visit our website at kenmore.church or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you enjoy the service. You know, Jesus' priorities of life and his teaching brought a whole new perspective on God. He had some sayings that he brought up regularly. I've come to give you life, not a burden. This was new for the people around him. He'd say things like forgive everyone, love everyone, repent and believe. 
And there was a real biggie. He was confronted on this a couple of times and he said, what's the biggest deal of all? And, and he would give them a legal response to a legal question given by the Pharisees. But one way or the other, he would always come back to this big, main, primary principle of life with God. And he would say, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Or if he was asked in non-law language, just when it overflowed from his heart, he would just say, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first God. Pursue him. This is a relational thing. But it was also a double-ended sort of promise. He would say, seek first the kingdom and all that you need will be added. We love the idea of all that we need. We want all that we need given in our life. We seek God for it all the time. But he's saying, all that you need comes on the end of the promise, on the end of the commitment to seek first the kingdom of God. And what he was saying there is, if you get this right, if you get this primary thing right, all else is as it needs to be. He didn't say life would be without problems, but it would not be without provision. You would always have all that you need if you put God first. And so today I want to zero in on that whole idea of first. First, the way it's translated in our uh, Bibles is the Greek word proton. Proton, you've probably heard that word before. And proton had a couple of meanings, a couple of nuances to it. The first is the idea of priority. That's first things first. It takes the highest place above all things. He's saying seek God first, put him first, give him the highest place. But it also means to be first in order. In other words, it's to be considered before other things. So whatever it is that Proton applies to, it's the highest priority and it's to be considered before other things are considered. In other words, God is above all things and God in all things is to be considered in our life in what we do, who we are, what we prioritize before we consider everything else. Now, Jesus and scripture were consistent and they were clear. And it's a whole theological idea called preeminence. His big idea was that God is preeminent. And this is an unmoving theological reality. There's other words we use to try and define God that are unmoving, unbending, that describe his allness, if you like. There's omniscience, which means God is all-knowing. He doesn't just, like you and I, think of something one day. He knows everything all the time. This is why he says uh, in the Old Testament prophets, my ways are not your ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. He doesn't think like us. He is all-knowing all the time. He's also omnipresent. He's everywhere and he's everywhere, every when. He's beyond time. He's in all places and in all times all at once. It's an absolute mind bed for people like you and I who are limited by time and the consecutive nature of going along the, the line of time in that sense. And so he's also preeminent. He's above all else. In Colossians 1, 17 to 18, uh, Paul gives uh, words to this where he says, uh, he being Jesus, God is before all things. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, meaning preeminent, proton. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, what we need to get our minds around before we talk about things like first fruits and giving God the first of our life is that God is preeminent. God is first. God can only be 
first. If God is God, God cannot be second. If Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of all. So God cannot uh, not be preeminent. It's outside of his created order and the nature of who he is not to be first. He's Lord of all. Jesus said, all the principles of God life rest on this point. When he said, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. He was saying all the law and the prophets rest on this one point. God is preeminent. He is first and he is above all things. You know, we talk endlessly. It feels like it sometimes the amount of words that we expend in church life, preaching, teaching, writing books and so on. We talk endlessly about life with God. But if he isn't first, none of that will work. All the ideas and all the principles hang off, as Jesus would say, hang off this idea that God is preeminent. We want God to provide and he promises to do that. But is he first? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. If he is first, then the promises come through. So putting God first begins to have a cascading effect then on all else in our life. If we get this right, Everything else seems to come into a completely different order. If we just try and plug him in as some other, some part in our life among other parts, those promises and principles that we teach so much about really don't play out the way they should. Now, what I'd like to do here is really honor scripture and the, the uh, priority and the amount of time and words spent in scripture connecting the idea of first and us with our first fruits. And so I want to relate it to our giving, to that which we bring to God, that which we uh, contribute through time, through our treasure, through our talents, all sorts of things. And if you've been following uh, our church at Kenmore, this is probably the first time in three years I've actually gone there, where I've talked about financial giving and this sorts of thing. But in our church, as in most churches, there's a, a broad spectrum of belief that people have about what should we give, how do we give, and so on. But what I want to do is boil it right back to the thing that matters most, God. God is preeminent. And what does that preeminence mean? That principle that goes beyond Old Testament, beyond New Testament, before time, that God was always preeminent. How does that play out in our lives now? Because in reality, when it comes to giving, if we aren't truly, we aren't truly free until we're free to give. And my motive for bringing this message is not because we particularly need more money in our church. Uh, we're a very generous church in that sense. It's, this isn't a reactive message. The motive in this is not for me or for the church. It's for you. Because the preeminence of God and the, the way we interact and engage with that principle uh, holds with us so many implications in our life for God's abundance to come into our life. If we want God to be blessing us, it's not like we earn it, but we need to make room for it. See, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he connects this whole idea of what is preeminent in our heart with what is preeminent with our wallet as well. So what I want to do is talk about this in right through scripture, uh, pre-law, post-law, all those sorts of things, and just talk about how this principle plays out in those different places. So let's talk first about how it applies pre-law, because uh, God was preeminent, is preeminent, before the Old Testament law came into place. So let's go right back into Genesis 4, verses 3 to 5, and look at how this whole idea of first and first fruits uh, plays out. And it says this, In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel 
and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Fascinating turn of phrase there. Cain became angry, uh, it's like God was not pleased with what he brought. And so he, he, how often have we felt that same way where it's like, God, I've done so much for you, but you've just, you've let me down and our countenance falls. And so, so many people begin to deconstruct their faith because our faith has been based on the wrong reality, on the wrong ideas about who God is. Rather than playing by the order in which he's created, we want to play it by our own rules and we get frustrated when God doesn't seem to play along. But Abel brought an offering as well. He brought first fruits that was acceptable. Cain brought an offering, uh, but first fruits, if you look at the text, was omitted from that sentence where he brought his offering. So there's a very different offering going on. One was acceptable, one wasn't. Cain brought an offering and in the, in the substance of time, it says, in the process of time, he sort of got around to it. But Abel brought an offering and it was first fruits. And because it was of the first of what he had, God found that acceptable because what he gave represented faith in the sense of accepting God's preeminence. He is first, he gets the first. So with Cain's offering, God could not accept it. It's a fascinating process. It's not that he wouldn't want to, it's just that God could not. He can't not be first. God is first in all things. And so it talks about this very uh, moment in history in Hebrews 11:4. It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. That Abel's offering was better. Why? Because it was first fruits. It was coming from the first of what he had. It was the first in priority and it was the first in order as well. And so it goes on to say, by faith, he was commended as righteous because of this faith when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Speaking of what? First things. This is what this whole thing was about. And so we've been seeing over the last few weeks, this whole idea of faith. And our associate minister, Zelvin, brought a great message last week on faith produces works. We, and those works look like digging a ditch, he said. We dig a ditch, we create a space in which only God can fill. Our works fulfill nothing. It's not like it's a transactional theology that says, well, if I do this, God's obliged to do that. No, what we're doing is making a space. It's like we're digging literally a ditch in which God can fill with his water. And so giving God the first is an act of faith long before it's an act of law. So this was long before the law, the New Testament law, sorry, the Old Testament law hadn't come into place yet. Giving God the first was an act of faith on, on the part of Abel. And that still speaks to us today. Faith in what? Faith that he will give us all that we need. Faith that our supply comes from God. Faith that he will bless and provide and multiply all that we need. The consistent promise through scripture is that God is with us. God will give us everything that we need. And what he asks is that we work in uh, along with the principles that he's given, that God is first. So you can't expect God to bless a life that's not living in congruence with the created order. And so first fruits giving, uh, that which we give from the first of what we have, is a sort of container, it's like a, a vessel in which God can fill. It invites God's hand on all of our finances and all of our life. It's really the opposite of withholding from his hand. And withholding from God means I'm self-supplying. I don't have that faith. My faith is in me. I'll give 
to God that which is left over perhaps. Um, but what I'm relying on, I'm relying on what I have. I'm relying on my own ability to provide. And I'm somehow we feel obliged or coerced to, oh, we've got to give God something as well. But that's a complete inversion of the whole principle. God is preeminent. God gets what is first and we take care of it first. First fruits uh, is a wholehearted faith reliance on God's provision. And as we've just seen, this is a pre-law principle. This came in long before the whole idea of tithing. Uh, there's no mention in this passage in Genesis of uh, law-oriented tithing or of 10%, anything like that. And tithing came in a bit later. Tithing, which literally means 10%, is an application of this same principle of uh, first fruits that came to the Hebrew nation. See, they came under the law and the expression of firsts uh, became something that was obligatory because when they were under that whole covenant of the law, it was much more transactional at that point of time. The law gave and there was, there was law and if there was sin, there was judgment and so on. But we can still use principles from that, even from that Old Testament period, even though we're not under law anymore. Romans 15.4 says that for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So they were under a covenant by that point. They were under an obligation. There was a contract that had been put in place, much more cause and effect. And the, the times of the Old Testament law where tithing was uh, a, a really big part of what was in their nat national culture, a lot of that was because the whole culture, there was no taxation system in the way we have. There was no government in the way we have. They had the temple. They had the priesthood, which was one person, uh, I think, in 10. Um, and so there was a huge cost involved in running the nation, in feeding the poor, and all the things that we now take for granted that happens from the government through the taxes that we pay. And so it was a slightly different process and they are under a different covenant. But let's look at how the principle applied in that time because the principle of first fruits still holds true then as it still does now. Exodus 13, one to two is a very interesting uh, snapshot of how it was applied where the law was being laid down there. It says this, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn. So there it is, first fruits, the first. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Now that word mine there, that's incredibly emphatic. God is saying that first that comes, that belongs to me. That is mine, he's saying. He said, that doesn't belong to you. You don't bring it as a voluntary act and say, oh, I think I'll give this as an offering. He's saying, no, this is already mine. In verse 19 of Exodus 23, he says, The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. He connects it directly there with saying the work of God that happens through the localized system that they were using with the temple and the priests and so on. He connects the giving to bring that first fruits into there. And, it, and again, can I emphasize, it says we bring. He, doesn't, he didn't say we give. It says bring that which is mine because it's already mine, God is saying. It's very emphatic language. Leviticus 27, 30 to 31, it says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And you can start to see, and it makes a lot more sense, I guess, of passages which uh, I've never really preached from, but uh, you can see why the language is strong in Malachi chapter three, where it uses incredibly strong language, where it says this, will a, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Goes on to say, test me on this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 
That's Malachi 3, 8 to 10. Incredibly strong, uh, emphatic command there to bring that which is mine. Otherwise, you're taking what is mine. But if you do, if you correspond with the principle, then the blessings of heaven will flow. Very much cause and effect language, different to what we operate under now. But the principle there is the same one, essentially, that Jesus espoused in Mark 12, 17. He said, if you give to God what is God's, you know, he, he said, this is the way this principle works. If it belongs to God, give it to God. And as we've seen, seek first and all these things will be added. But we wonder, sometimes we struggle, how do we apply this? Uh, in our own fellowship, there are many business people and they wonder, how do, I, how do I know how much to give to God if we're not under the Old Testament system now and so on? Because a lot of income can come in in a business sort of setting and a lot can go out in expenses. Um, but there's a great scripture that I love to read from, in this regard from Proverbs chapter 3 where it says, Honour the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits, again the first, of all your increase your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So there's a command and the promise that comes from that. But he talks about this whole idea of increase. And increase is the margin. Increase is the gap after expenses. It's sort of what we would call the gross profit. If uh, I'm a contractor and, and uh, I do a job and I charge $1,000 for it, but I've had to purchase $800 worth of raw materials to do that, I've got to then pay that bill of $800. The margin on that was $200. So the first fruits is applied to that margin. It's the gross profit. And so we can learn how to apply this in our own life. But this is really, we're talking now Old Testament language there. We've looked at uh, pre-law, we've looked at law. Let's have a look at the New Testament application because uh, there's not a lot mentioned, particularly about tithing in the New Testament. It does come up. Jesus mentions tithing once. Uh, he said, don't neglect the tithe. And he was talking to uh, people who were still under the law, obviously Pharisees, who were saying, you know, look, we, we give uh, as we should do. And Jesus says, well, that's fine that you give, but don't give at the expense of doing the other things that really matter. Love people, you know, love God, all that sort of thing. He said, don't, don't uh, neglect the tithe, but don't let that stop you from doing what matters even more. We go on to the epistles and uh, the writings of Paul. He gives no mention at all to Gentiles, essentially, which is you and I, those who were never Hebrews in the first place. He doesn't, he doesn't impose on them, uh, particularly through the writings that we have regarding tithing whatsoever. And yet we know God is preeminent. The principles of first fruits still apply to us. So they were never under that system of government. So how did it apply to them? Um, he, I guess they were saying, how does, uh, we don't want to impose the law on those who never had the law in the first place. Um, and yet first fruits must still apply. Uh, so let's have a look at 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 2, where Paul talks about uh, giving in that sense to a New Testament community. He says this in verse 1 to 2. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day, there it is again, first, so do it first. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. All right, a few comments on that. First of all, as we said, first day, Sunday. He said, on Sunday, uh, put aside the money, do it first. God is preeminent, set it aside first of all. But then he also says, do it in keeping with your income. This is a fascinating uh, thing to dialogue through with your own local leaders and so on, in keeping with your income. Some of us don't earn much at all. Some of us don't have any income. Some of us earn quite a large income. 
I just note in Jesus when he was watching people giving into the temple that how much he commended the faith of the widow who gave two small coins. She didn't have much to give and yet she still gave just that little bit and God, Jesus commended her faith. And remember, this is a faith conversation and it's how much do I rely on God to give me everything that I need? So even if I haven't got much to give, I still give to him first, even if it's two coins. I set it aside first of all. Some can give very little. Uh, some can give copiously more than that. This is why I tend to not give uh, ideas about what sort of percentage and so on. 10%, which was a tithe. You know, the tithe in the Old Testament, that's what the word literally meant. But there were multiple tithes. And if you added them all up, uh, different theologians have argued this through. Uh, it can be as much as 23%, maybe a bit more. Some have even said 27% of the income of the land would be considered a tithe. So, you know, if, if we're going to stick a peg in the ground and say, well, you must give 10%, you, you, you might want to consider, you might have to give a lot more than that if you want to stick by the Old Testament law. But really, we can use that as a sort of a guide. Uh, but again, use the principle in accordance with your income. Uh, and so let it be a response of faith not because of coercion or on-the-spot manipulation. He was saying, you do it first and you set it aside so that when I come, Paul said, I don't have to take up the offering. In our church, we very rarely mention or take up an offering because we ask our people to think about it in advance, to set it aside, to do it digitally in their own time and space without coercion, without manipulation. Hence, we have a simple request of all the regulars at our church. Put God first. It's between you and him. But set your first fruits aside and commit to it digitally. Be consistent with it. Be generous with it. And if you want to be a part of that, you can go to kenmore.church forward slash give uh, on our website and that'll give you all the details for how to do that. So we don't like, we don't uh, coerce, we don't manipulate, we don't push. We trust our people enough that, and we ask them to pray and we know that God will speak and give each of us an appropriate amount that will be generous. All I ask is that it is the first fruits. It's considered first. Now here's a principle and how it applies in the New Testament context. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8, Paul says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here's the promise, because God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, my desire as a pastor is for you to experience the same things that Jesus offered, abundant life, everything that you need, a sufficient grace, all those sorts of things. But the principles of God and the provision of God work together. And we need to cooperate with this principle of God he doesn't want to compete for your time and he doesn't want to compete for your heart. He doesn't want to compete for your income. You know, he doesn't need your income. We need to give. We need to put him first. So I'd like to pray a blessing upon you now that God would bless you financially, that God would bless your faith, that this would become something that you can work through with God, with grace, with faith in your own way and hear his voice on this and respond in faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise and we glorify your name. The earth is yours and everything in it. You are preeminent. The world and all who live in it belong to you. Our finances belong to you. As we acknowledge your first place in our lives, I pray for everyone listening that you would have your divine way 
in each person's finances. I know that you'll meet all our needs according to your glorious riches. And so we put our trust in you. We trust not in our job or our friends or our family or anything else. We place our trust in you because you are our provider. So God, shower your people with abundance and let your servants prosper so that your kingdom work would not need for anything and neither would those people. And as our hearts are aligned with yours, I ask you to provide income in unexpected ways. Let storehouses open, doors fling wide and favour be released. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of our financial needs. I pray most of all for the gift of faith among your people, that they may have you in first place and that every other need will be added unto them in Christ Jesus. Bless you now. I pray that you would work that through in your own time and way and look forward to hearing your responses of faith as a testimony of God's goodness. Bless you now. So how do we make this stick? I guess the, the very simple question is, what is your faith response to the preeminence of God? How do you dig your ditch to allow God's blessing and water to flow? How do you create a vessel for him to fill? What's your faith response to the preeminence of God? What, what are your first fruits of your life? And how do you set them aside regularly uh, and in a way that is a response of faith? Enjoy that. Discuss that amongst your family and your friends there. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.